Christ's sin brought an undoing to all of God's good creation. That his one obedience, Christ on the cross for us and his resurrection from the dead, is the beginning of the reversal of that undoing to where now we have the hope that he is making all things new again. Welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor and I'm here with my brother in the Lord and co-pastor Daniel Ventura. Pastor Daniel, you preached such an encouraging, edifying sermon from Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms this past Sunday. Can you remind us what the main point was? Yes, yes. Psalm 73 was our focus this past Lord's Day in the morning. The main conclusion of this psalm is that in Christ we have everything that we truly need. We see in the psalm for a little while, Asaph took his eyes off of that most glorious truth and he fixed his heart on the things of this earth. And in so doing, he became envious of uh, the prosperity of other people. But by God's grace, he came to see once again that God is truly all that he has. And in him, he has everything that he needs. Mm, Beautiful. Such a good word for many of us as we find again through this psalm that reality. And it hits us deeply that God is all that we have and all that we need. Um, Now, Pastor Daniel, is there any vivid imagery in this text that helps us see that reality that brings it home to us? Yes, Asaph is quite descriptive throughout the psalm, um, and he describes himself at one point as a brute beast before God. And when it comes to envy, it could um, almost take our eyes off of God in such a way that we almost are like a beast. You know, unlike human beings, uh, beasts often have their eyes looking downward as they walk on all fours. And this reminds us of what envy does to us. It focuses our eyes uh, simply on things here below. And we can become blinded to the blessings of God that he has lavished upon us, especially those blessings that God has lavished upon us in Christ. Mm. It just hit me right now that what that means is when I'm scrolling on social media and find myself somewhat envious of you know this lifestyle or the dress or clothing or the different vacations that others are having when my eyes are fixed on that that i'm acting like a beast (laughs) (laughs) you and me both (laughs) i'm like an animal i don't have my eyes on the things Mm. of god on what is eternal i have my eyes on things that are passing away i so easily get caught up into that you know i think we all Mm -hmm. we all do which is why it's so important that we have a psalm like this there's another part of the psalm where asaph's describing the ungodly people Mm -hmm. uh, those who have no respect for God, who ignore him or even outright reject him and hate him. And says, he says that they wear their ungodliness like clothing, like a necklace of pride or a garment of violence. I almost picture kind of a fashion show, mm-hmm. right? And so the ungodly are kind of in this world walking down the runway mm-hmm. on social media, on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, they're showing it off, flaunting it to the world all their riches and their power and their ways, their ungodly ways without any shame, you know, just Mm -hmm. flaunting it. And you might be wondering, where does that take place? You know, where does that happen? Um, Well, one example that I thought of is with the case of Jeffrey Epstein, Mm. if you've heard of him, the super rich guy who is trafficking uh, young girls for sexual pleasure, right? And so he's picking up these vulnerable underage girls from broken homes and taking them to his private island, where then he would invite these rich and powerful men to come take advantage of these girls for their own sexual pleasure. 
And among those men, you have politicians, mm. big shot attorneys, and even British royalty who are mm. involved in all of this. And how many of those guys were punished or convicted right. by the court of law? Well, none of them, right? Uh, they didn't even get a slap on their wrist. Mm. And then we find that Epstein allegedly kills himself in prison, taking to the grave all the details about what many of these rich and powerful men did. You know, like Asaph, we hear that kind of story and we ask ourselves, how is that fair? Mm -hmm. How is that just? Uh, it's so frustrating. It's like you mentioned in your sermon, it's similar to Ecclesiastes, this vanity of vanities. The world seems so broken mm. and topsy-turvy. This isn't how it's supposed to work. And I love how Eugene Peterson describes Asaph's point of frustration in the psalm where he's wrestling with that. And he says this, what's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending to the store. The wicked get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck, that's what. A slap in the face every time I walk out the door. Hmm. And so I very much resonate with the frustration that Asaph has and is expressing here in this psalm. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we can sympathize a lot with Asaph. I think every Christian asks the questions that Asaph asks you know, is it worth it to follow Christ? Mm. We look around at the world and, and we see how people live and maybe they're enjoying life. And we really wonder, is it worth it to follow Christ? Are my labors in vain? Mm. And Asaph is wrestling with that. And one of the other imagery that, that comes up is how he goes to the sanctuary of God. And that's where he begins to find some insight, right? And, and we might put that in our New Testament terms. He, he went to church, right? He went to the place of worship. He came before the Lord and he remembered at that place who God is who he is, and what the end of all people will be. And one of the things he would have saw as he went to temple worship was in front of the holy place, he would have saw that altar for burnt offering, which is a reminder of kind of two different things. Uh, one, New Testament terms, Romans 3, the wages of sin is death. And he would have been reminded at that bloody altar that that is what sin leads to. It leads to death, right? And for all of those ungodly people that have been mocking God, he was reminded that the wages of their sin will be death. But that same altar preached a message of grace to Asaph and to the faithful that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those who trust in the Messiah to come, those who trust looking back to Jesus, God gives eternal life and ultimately eternal blessing. It reminds me, you know, as Asaph staring, looking at that altar and sees the blood, it was sort of a receipt of God's payment for his debt that he had. So Asaph's debt was, was paid. God was shedding blood in order to atone for his sins. Whereas, as he's thinking about that, how he stands before God is atoned for, forgiven by God, that he's also thinking about the ungodly, that, that they do not have blood atoned for them, um, and that their sins and their debt is compounded day by day and God is the creator who will get full justice in the end like you said they're they're partying on the edge of a cliff and they don't realize that that destruction is soon upon them if they do not repent and turn by faith in the blood that was shed for sinners That's right. for Asaph it was there in the temple um, in anticipation of the greater sacrifice to come and we look back on that greater sacrifice Christ who shed his blood for sinners like us so now, Pastor Daniel, how is 
all of this truth presented in this passage renewing and reshaping your heart? In what ways is it comforting you? Yes, as we've been talking about already, you know, texts like this remind us that that God understands how backwards this world can be. You know, God not only gives us psalms like Psalm 1, which are a little bit more black and white, and books like the Proverbs, which teach us in general kind of how the world works, but he gives us texts like Psalm 73 and, and books like Ecclesiastes and Job to, to show us that, you know, life can sometimes be backward. And in that experience that we have as Christians of this backwards world, uh, we could express that doubt to the Lord and know that he is a God who understands those things, but also that there's more to life than, than what we see around us, more than meets the eye. And Asaph is reminded of that in this text as he's reminded that ultimately in this backwards world that doesn't always make sense, uh, God is near to his people. He's near to his church. He's near to every Christian. And he puts that in such personal terms. You hold my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel. You guide me with your word. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. You're going to lead me all the way home. Mm. So good that in the midst of our trials, God is near us with these wonderful promises that he will bring us home with him in glory. And that is truly comforting for us. Now, what ways does this psalm correct you, Pastor Daniel? Well, like we've been talking about, I mean, I could find my own self envious of other people. And like Asaph, I could find myself uh, valuing earthly prosperity or the things on earth more than my own spiritual inheritance in Christ. Right? I could worry about the same things that my neighbor worries about. And um, God is calling me to, to trust Jesus for all of those things that I need for this life, not to, to worry about all of the things of this earth because he's promised to take care of me. And, and more than that as well, and kind of connected to that, I could find myself in prayer, you know, simply thanking God for all of the gifts that he gives to me uh, versus praising God as the one who is the giver of all those good gifts. Right, It's that classic worshiping the the gifts above the giver. And so it's a reminder to me um, to say with Asaph, no, uh, Lord, you are my treasure, right? If you were to take away all of the good things of my life that I put so much value on, the things that my heart wants to live for every day, if you were to take all of that away, Lord, that you're my treasure, you would be enough for me. And and I want that so much to be the posture of my heart, but it's something that I have to, to pray about and ask God to continue to work in me because I find myself... Uh, again, valuing the things on the earth so much more than the spiritual blessings that I have in Christ. Hmm. That's a good word, brother, and it reminds me tied to your sermon title that he's not primarily the one who gives us all that we want and everything that we need. He is hmm. all that we have and everything that we need. He himself is. He is to be our portion and our strength. Uh, as his psalm declares, and that's a lesson I think that we learn over many years of walking with him by faith. We learn that more and more as other good things pass away as well and we lose them and we realize at the end of the day that he truly is all that we have and everything that we need. Now, brother, what are some practical takeaways for all the different kinds of people in our congregation? Yes, you know, I think as we go about our lives, you know, Monday through Saturday, we could recognize that every day our eyes, as it were, the eyes of our heart, our spiritual eyesight is focused somewhere. Um, we're either, you know, focused on life here and now and all the things that are before us, you know, money and work and our to-do list. And, and we're thinking about those things primarily or our minds are, are set, as Paul says, on things above. 
And we do need to care about the things of this earth. We do need to tick off things on our to-do list. We do need to work hard. We do need to care for our families. But, but Paul tells us in Colossians 3 to set our minds on things above, not on things here on earth, because we have died. And our lives in some mysterious way are hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. And I think practically this um, reminds us as Christians that, that daily, that is something that we have to make a choice to do, uh, to set our eyes on Christ, to set our eyes on the promises of God, uh, to set our eyes on who we are in Christ, and to do that through prayer, to do that through meditating on God's word. Uh, we're thankful that you're listening to this podcast to help you to, to meditate on scripture with us. I think also in our homes, we could do things like worship together in song, you know, as we open up a hymnal together or a Psalter, or we put on a good worship song on YouTube, uh, we could just sing to God praises and we could be reminded in song of who he is and what he's done. And, and when we sing and worship the Lord, his truth has a way of working itself deeper into our hearts. Mm. Those are some really good practical suggestions for us. And that truth, as it sinks deeper in, Pastor Daniel, as you said, that every good thing on earth has an expiration date. Mm. Um, it will come to an end. And the more that we see that reality, then the more that will teach us to desire nothing ultimately here on earth, but rather, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which has no expiration date. His kingdom of God and his righteousness endures forever. And all of my possessions ultimately will belong to others. My strength will diminish. My mind will decline with time. All these good things that we have will pass away, kind of like a sandcastle uh, that will soon pass away with the changing of the tide. When we come to see that reality, as you quoted from Colossians 3, we are taught to look up beyond what we have here and now, beyond even our universe, to find Christ where he is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Because as Asaph says here in this psalm, afterward he will receive me Mm -hmm. to glory. And that's a good word too, brother, for our more seasoned saints in the Lord. You know, those who are maybe in their final lap of their race of faith, or or maybe even for people who are younger, who are struggling with some kind of terminal illness. Asaph writes in this psalm very, very clearly, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And some of us might be feeling our bodies slowing down, or struggling in different ways with the body or in the mind. Uh, But we could be assured from this psalm that the God who has taken us by the hand in salvation is the God who will guide us all the way home to glory. And even now, he is the strength of your heart, dear listener, and he is your portion forever. Uh, The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He says, We do not lose heart, though our outer body is wasting away. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And again, that is by God's power, and it's by God's grace. Amen, brother. You know, and that's not just for the seasoned saints either, right? Because even now in this uh, brief season in my life as one who's sick and kind of uh, recovering here, that each time we are met with sickness Mm. in our bodies, we're faced with the weakness and frailty of our human existence and our body. We're reminded that that strength and vigor that we have currently will not always be there. And it's a reminder that our own life has an expiration date in in this world, right? But at the same time, as you just quoted, uh, our body 
uh, our physical life has an expiration date, but our inner man, our inner self, that spiritual life recreated by the Spirit of God is being renewed day by day and uh, will continue onward forever in glory and will be reunited as well with our resurrected bodies when Christ returns. And that just gives such hope Mm -hmm. and joy to, to us and our sufferings, right? Now, in what ways does this text give us a bigger and better understanding of who Jesus is for us? Well, like Asaph, Jesus was tempted by Satan to doubt the goodness of God. And that's part of the fundamental temptation of Satan, even in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. At the heart of his temptation to Adam and to Eve was to to doubt the goodness of God, right? He asked that question, has God really said that you should not eat of any tree of the garden? And in that question, he was tempting Eve to find the good life somewhere else. And Jesus was tempted in that same way, just like we're tempted every single day to find goodness, to find the good life somewhere else apart from God. But Jesus shows us how we endure those temptations. He entrusted himself to his Father who is good and who does all things well. And at the end of his life, our Lord Jesus goes to the cross and he pays for our sins. And and there we're reminded that there is only one truly righteous man who has suffered unjustly and who was cursed and stricken by God for us. And and that man was not Asaph, even though he felt that way in his experience. He was not cursed by God. Uh, God's wrath was not upon Asaph, but it was upon Jesus because Jesus took our sins upon himself to remove our sin in the sight of God and to bring God's blessing, to bring his prosperity, his ultimate prosperity, his ultimate shalom, Uh, back into this world that's beautiful and there at the cross in christ's own suffering we find that his suffering for us solves all of those riddles of life and that frustration that asaph had earlier this amazing love of god solves this that jesus died and rose again to free sinners like me from this upside down prison of sin and misery whereas sin brought an undoing to all of God's good creation, that his one obedience, Christ on the cross for us and his resurrection from the dead is the beginning of the reversal of that undoing to where now through the power of Christ's death and resurrection, we have the hope that he is making all things new again. And so we see there in the cross the the solution to all of life's biggest riddles and all of our frustrations as well. And we see it in the very suffering of Christ, God himself in human flesh, suffering for us to make all things new again and make all wrongs now right. Now, Pastor Daniel, lastly, which verse would you recommend that uh, we commit to memory from this passage? Yes, in our own home, we've been reciting together verse 26, but I think verse 25 and verse 26 go together so beautifully And again, Asaph says in those verses, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Mm. I love that passage. It's uh, one of my favorites in all of God's word, to be honest. Mm. And whom do we have in heaven? We have Jesus in heaven, resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. And I looked up in the Puritan Thomas Goodwin's uh, treatise on the heart of Christ in heaven unto sinners on earth, 
wherein he writes this about whom we have in heaven. He says this, In all miseries and distresses, you may be sure to know where to have a friend to help and pity you, even in heaven, Christ, one whose nature, office, interest, relation, all do engage him to your help. You will find men, even friends, to be oftentimes unto you unreasonable, and their bowels, in many cases, shut up towards you. Well, say to them, if you will not pity me, I know one that will, one in heaven, whose heart is touched with the feeling of all my infirmities, and I will go and bemoan myself to him. Come boldly, even with open mouth, to lay open your complaints, and you shall find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Men love to see themselves pitied by friends, though they cannot help them. Christ can and will do both. What a good word. He can pity us, and he can also help us in our time of need and give us that grace and mercy to sustain us. And we've heard that throughout this psalm. And so, Pastor Daniel, it's been a great discussion. Hopefully, it's been a blessing to everyone listening in. Thanks again, and we'll come back and discuss some more with you next week.